Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus' ministry, from His calling to His victory over the grave. We are walking alongside His journey to the cross, to His death and burial, and then to His resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. Well, good morning, Rolling Hills Community Church. I'm Mike Minter, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. My main job, and this is a shameless ad, my main title here is Pastor of Primetime, and it meets at 9.30 in Room A. Every week we dive deep into the Scriptures. Uh, We have a great time, and we really care for one another. But you have to be 60 and over. But we do have people sliding in, about 13 and 14. They're starting to come in. We're having such a great time. Secondly, I'm going to be teaching a class starting March 22nd on how to understand this very, very difficult book we call the Bible. It'll be here at the church, eight-week series. It's not good enough to tell an atheist you believe the Bible because you just believe the Bible or your mother told you it was true or whatever. So we're going to talk about how you can know it's true. We'll talk about parables. We'll find Jesus in the Old Testament. We're going to do a deep dive, and it'll, we'll learn a lot about how this whole thing is put together in a way that no humans could have ever put it together. And there's no age limit for that one, so you can come to that. All right, I'm the old guy that they uh, take out of mothballs every few months and throw me up here and uh, see if I've got something to say. Um, let me give you a little bit of a, of a sort of a review. We are looking at, um, we're looking at, the scriptures that lead up to the crucifixion and the rising of Jesus from the grave as we get closer and closer to Easter. Last week, Jeff covered chapter 15 about the vine and the branches. Today, we're going to be looking at chapter 16, but let me tell you what I'm, how I'm going to approach this. It's a fairly lengthy chapter, and uh, you can't get to every single detail. You just can't. So I'm going to give you kind of a big flyover And then we are going to go to one verse, and we're going to focus on one word in that one verse. And if you understand this one word, it will give you a panoramic 360-degree view of life as it really is. Not as your five senses say it is, as it really is. Because the Bible is a book of revelation, and revelation is what God wants man to know that man could otherwise not know. 
God's not going to tell you how to fix a car. We can figure out how to do that. But he will tell you where you came from, why you're here, and where you're going, and a lot of things about this present world that you live in. So that's kind of where we're headed. We'll open up here and looking at this chapter, and I'll give you again a quick view of it, and then we'll get to that one particular text. Let's take a look at the first few verses. We read this, starting in verse 1. All this have I told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Father, I pray for Jeff and his family right now as they're ministering in the Amazon. I pray that you'd bless them, encourage them, encourage the people they'll be coming in contact with. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, just give them a fruitful time. And now, Lord, open our eyes that we behold wondrous things out of your law. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the upper room discourse starting back in chapter 13. And usually when somebody is giving their final words to somebody else in life, those are the most important words. So Jesus is giving his final words before he departs and goes to the cross to his disciples. And he's giving some very, very hard words. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. The Bible doesn't paint a pretty picture of everything in life. But the Bible does give us great, great hope. And we're going to see that in this one verse we're going to look at. Now, my style of preaching is I, I take you into a nosedive and you think you're going to crash. And you're going to turn to the person next to you or your wife or your husband and say, why didn't we sleep in this morning? This guy's driving me nuts. At any rate, but at the end, we're going to pull back on that stick and we're going to soar. And you're going to feel the spiritual G-forces go back, all right? So you've got something to look forward to as we march into this. But here's the overview of this particular text. Jesus is telling them that he needs to go away because if he doesn't go away, the comfort of the Holy Spirit will not come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. But he is also coming again. He also tells them that I know you think you believe, but you're going to scatter when I, when I go to the cross. And they did. It was just he and the Father that were left. But then he says, it's a little bit like a woman who goes through very hard labor and then finds great joy and forgets the labor she's gone through when the baby is born. And that's sort of what this text is about. It's talking about the, the hardship and the labor that we go through in this life, but... There is a birth that is coming, a new heavens and a new earth. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And then that section goes on and it says, Even the world, the physical earth, the universe is groaning to be released from the bondage that it is in. But God always finishes on that high note, as he does in Revelation 21, when he talks about the new heavens and the new earth. And the beauty of Scripture is that we are pilgrims, simply passing through a very strange land. One of my favorite verses is that Abraham was looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. So that's what we're looking at today. 
And I want you to buckle up as we go. We're going to go through some hard things here, but we're going to land the plane on a very positive note. Their grief will turn to joy. As I said, this is going to be a panoramic view. But let's take a look at verse 33. This is the singular verse and a singular word that we're going to look at. Here's what it says. Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The word that we're going to spend all of our time on is not the word, word trouble or turmoil or have your Bible reads. It's the word world. It's an important word used mainly by the Apostle Paul and John, the Apostle John. It's used a lot. And you can normally tell what it means by the context because it's nuanced. There's, there are a number of reasons, a number of, of, of uh, definitions to how this word is used. For example, for God so loved the world. He loved the world. That's the world of people. But we're told, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Those are two different uses of the word world. There's a love of the world. We are to love the people in this world, but we are not to love the world as it is with all of its materialism and greed and lust and entertainment. There are two different uses. It can also mean go into all the world. It can mean the physical earth, the world. But you can tell by the context how it's used. But here's what the word means that we're going to look at here. It's a word cosmos in the Greek, and it means an ordered system. It's an integrated system. Here's how it's integrated. It's integrated in that every single thing in this world system, in this present world system, is made up of military, government, big business, Economy, religion, medicine, science, you name it, everything is part of this world system. And it's referred to as an evil world system. Look at the verse. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. I didn't say that, God did. The whole world. All of it, every area, and you're thinking, but, but I work in the government. I, I work in big business. I'm in medicine. Good for you. Good for you. You are to be salt and light in a decaying, dark world system. You're in it, but you're not to be of it. That's why we are here. We wouldn't know that if it weren't for God's divine Revelation, what God wants man to know that man could otherwise not know. That's why God has given us his book, so that we can see things that we could otherwise not see or know. And as we study this word, this world system, I said it will begin to give you a 360-degree panoramic view 
the good, the bad, and the ugly of what life really is. Our five human senses only tell us some things about life, but God's divine revelation tells us what we need to know. This is why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we are not ignorant of his devices. Unfortunately, if we don't know this word, we are ignorant of his devices. God is not here to frighten us, but to enlighten us. You wouldn't want to go to a doctor and have the doctor tell you what you want to hear, even though you've got five clogged arteries. You want him to tell you the truth so that something can be done. So God isn't painting a pretty picture of this present world. It is under a condemnation. Now, when you read that the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one or is under the control of the evil one, you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought God was in charge of the world. I thought God was sovereign over everything. He is. He is sovereign over all. He has never been the author of evil, but in his eternal purposes, he has allowed evil to exist. And he has allowed Satan to run for a long time on a very long chain. But the day is coming when he's going to pull that. And the choker is going to take over, and God's kingdom will enter in. And that's why Jesus talks about having peace in this present world system. If you were to go through the Scriptures, you're going to see so many places where this term is used. As I said, you can often just tell by just, by just seeing it. You know, we're, we're, we're swimming. We're immersed in this world system. We're just not supposed to drink its water, all right? Remember, we're salt and light. You'll note that it often says that he is the prince of this world system. He's the prince and the power of this present evil age. And the whole world is under his control through demonic forces. This is why you see the Democrats and the Republicans yelling and screaming at each other. This is why you see school boards blowing up all over the nation. They're not arguing over whether or not math should be taught in the seventh grade or algebra in the seventh grade and, or algebra in the eighth grade. They're talking about moral issues. And the more progressive the world becomes and the more God gives it over to its own way, the more friction you're going to see in this world. And Jesus says you're going to get kicked out of the synagogues he could say, you're going to get kicked out of the churches because things are closing in. These are the hard things, but he warns us. He tells us what is really happening so that we don't just have blinders on as we go through this life. We can really grasp what is taking place. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in dark places. This world is dark. It is very, very dark. There is no light in this world. Isaiah says, if they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them. Not some light, no light. Zero. This is why you see so much tension, because people are operating under their own wisdom. They're operating under how they see things. They're operating under their own logic and their own ways but all of it is wrong. How do I know? Because John 8, 44, 
we read that Jesus says to the religious leaders, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and a liar, and there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. So you can expect that the world is going to lie to you every single day. And it doesn't mean you're looking for a demon behind every bush. But I get such a kick out of listening to the world try to lure me in. Biggest sale ever. No, no, no. There's going to be a bigger one tomorrow. <laughs> We're running out. Buy today. No, you'll make some more tomorrow. You hear it every single day. That's just part of the world system. It's just part of the world. And when your eyes are open, you're able to see what is really taking place. Because God is not the author of confusion, the enemy is the author of confusion. Do we have a confused world or what? Just look around. I've said this before from up here. Man is increasing in knowledge at an exponential rate. He's addicted to knowledge, but he's allergic to wisdom. There's no wisdom. You don't see any wisdom in political world. There are a few Christians sprinkled out, a few. Most of it is just people yelling and screaming leaning on their own understanding, which Proverbs says, don't do. But you have to have another standing. You have to have the Holy Spirit that he talks about here that is going to come and indwell believers, illuminating our minds to understand the deep things of God. But keep in mind this. There is an evil trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're looking at the world today, but not everything is, you know, the devil made me do it. We're drawn away by our own lust, our flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Here's the world drawing us away, enticing our flesh, and here's the enemy encouraging the world to entice us. So you've got this three-ring circus going on. And if we didn't know the Scriptures, we wouldn't know that our heart is incurably wicked. We wouldn't know that. We wouldn't know so many things. But this gives us a 360-degree view of what is taking place all over the world. James says, he says, be unspotted in this world. He also says, anyone who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. That's a tough, that's a tough statement, an enemy of God. Now, there's a little, a little irony and I'll read something to you. I find this interesting, and this is that 360-degree view that we have. The media, and there are people that are believers that are in the media, very few, very few. But there are some. They are the ones that are sprinkled out as salt and light. But if you don't go along with the world system, you're not going to be able to print too much, all right? What I get such a kick out of is that the media... The people that are lost in the media report every day how bad the world system was the day before. Just go on your news feed. And, and they're trying to figure out why it's so bad. They don't understand. So listen carefully to this. This was the Secretary General of the United Nations back in the 70s, early 70s. He was an atheist, and he addressed... 2,700 scholars and people from around the world in different nations, and he said this, listen carefully to this. What element is lacking so that with all of our skill and all our knowledge, we still find ourselves in the dark valley of discord and enmity? 
That's found in Genesis 3.15, which we'll see in a moment. What is it that inhibits us from going forward together to enjoy the fruits of human endeavor and to reap the harvest of human experience? Why is it that for all our professed ideals, all our hopes, all our skills, peace on earth is still a distant objective seen only dimly through the storms and turmoils of this, these present difficulties? Sounds like the Tower of Babel. Let us build us a city that goes to heaven. Let us, let us, no mention of God, but he's asking the question, why is it that we're gaining so quickly in knowledge, but everything is getting worse and worse? I'd love to have been there. I would have stood up and said, the world system, that's the problem. Sin, the human heart. And then I would have been ushered out by the police. At any rate, You see, we have an answer to those things that the world is, is asking. That's why we're to be salt and light. We, we, we can challenge the world. And that was back in the 70s. Are things better? Mm -mm. They're worse. Far worse. Because God has given man over to his own way, Romans 1. And there's a spiraling down. And I know that doesn't sound like happy news, but Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome all of this. And he's right on the verge of overcoming. This is the night before, probably Thursday evening, getting very, very close. So the media is, 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 is every day reporting on the very world system it doesn't understand. It doesn't even believe there is such a thing as a world system. I've heard people say, I don't believe there is a, an enemy. I don't believe there's a Satan. Could the world be this bad without some outside help? <laughs> I mean, there's got to be something going on. Man's intelligent. Why, they can't, why can't he fix this mess? He'll never, ever, ever fix it. There's always confusion. Always. There's confusion entered. I know this is a, a, a touchy subject, but there's confusion today about gender. There's confusion today about what constitutes marriage. There's confusion today about, about when life begins. There's confusion today about what pronoun I don't use. And just pause and just think. 5,000 years of recorded human history, we've never had those types of problems like we have them today. It's all part of which I've never thought, never in my entire years of preaching and the years I've been a believer, ever been a person that's put a calendar out there and thought, he's got to be coming back next year. But I have never seen anything like I've seen today. Little Catholic boy, some of you probably saw it in the news in Canada, went into his, into his, in his Catholic school and made the mistake of saying that he believed there are two genders. The police came and put him in cuffs. And you will be kicked out of the synagogues. This is going to determine who really believes and who really doesn't. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And it causes a lot of anger. You just see so much anger because there's so much friction when people don't know the truth that would set them free. They don't know. And you might be watching online or you're here today and you'd say, I've never, I'm just, I'm not sure I'm there yet regarding this Christian thing. Just listen very, very carefully to what we've said. Tell me if it isn't the truth of what you're observing and experiencing on a daily basis every single day. Listen again to the wording here. 
Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world system, you'll have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. He says, in me, in the world. John 17, Lord willing, which we'll be looking at next week. In John 17, Jesus says, you're in the world to his disciples, but you're not of the world. In other words, we're in it, not of it. In other words, we have a prepositional relationship to the world and a prepositional relationship to Jesus. You're either in Jesus or you're in the world. These are, these are profound truths that God wants his people to know. Jesus wasn't saying hard things just to ruin our day. David, King David in the Old Testament said, he said, Lord, hide not your commandments from me because I'm a stranger in this world. In other words, I don't know how to navigate through life. Give me your divine revelation so that I will know how to get through life. What is Proverbs all about? It's all about wisdom for how to get through life. Because life is hard and life doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you only have five human senses. But when you have a sixth sense, when you have a biblical understanding of revelation, it gives you the 360-degree panoramic view of what is really going on. I recently saw that we, that we can only, I read this, we can only see 1% of the light spectrum. 1%. You go outside and you're seeing 1%. 99% of what's really going on you can't see. That's a great illustration regarding the spiritual world. An owl, an eagle might be able to see 2 or 3%, but no animal can see everything. They can't. And yet it's still going on. We know it from scientific discoveries and ways of, of computers and all these things that tell us these things. We understand that, but we can't see it. So Scripture comes along and says, I've got some news for you. I've got some things that I want you to understand that you would never know about if it weren't for what I'm going to reveal to you. So as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, he is sitting down with them. The final night before he goes, he's hours away from being crucified. And he says, I want to tell you some things. You're going to go through some hard times. You're going to go through some tribulation. But I want you to know something. And I find myself disobeying, disobeying this verse every single day. I see the news. I probably shouldn't even watch it. And then I get upset. Then I get all worked up. And Jesus says, Mike, 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 you're going to preach on this this weekend. Pay attention. Be of good cheer. I have overcome all that. You're still living in it, but I have overcome it. You live in the kingdom. You're in the kingdom of light. Stop whining. I told my wife several times, I have a PhD in complaining. And I, I look around, and these things really get me upset. I've got grandchildren and children that are coming up in this world, and we all say that. Jesus says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. It's like, it's like halftime, and your team is losing 50 to nothing. 
a hundred to nothing. And the coach comes in and goes, be of good cheer. I've got a couple of sneak plays. We're going to win. We're going to win 101 to 100. Be of good cheer. We've overcome that team. This isn't just sort of a pep rally talk. This is, this is the reality of what Jesus is saying, because this isn't a pep rally. This is Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, some of you are probably wondering, uh, so there's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. Yes, there are two kingdoms. When did these two kingdoms come in to this world? When did that even start? Genesis 3.15 tells us, in Genesis 3.15, I call Genesis 3.15 the headwaters of Scripture. And here's why. I'm not saying that Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, I'm not saying that's not important. That's very important. But we don't live there. Once Adam and Eve sinned, we don't live in that garden. We live in a broken world. And here's what Genesis 3.15 says. Now listen carefully. Because in this text is Christmas and Easter. And I will put enmity. This is God saying to Satan, declaring war on Satan. And I will put enmity, warfare, between you, Satan, and the woman. Oh, there's a woman coming. I wonder who she is. And between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring is going to crush your head. Your offspring is going to bruise his heel. Oh, so we have the seed of a woman. Women don't carry the seed, men do. Could that be a preview of the virgin birth? Hmm. How about, how about the issue that the seed of the woman will crush your head, a death blow, but your seed will give him a temporary wound, a heel wound, which would understand is that he's going to fall, but he will rise up again. So we have the coming of this Christ child, the seed that is coming, that's Christmas. And we have the fact that he's going to die and rise again, this heel wound, that's Easter. And this is the beauty of Scripture. God never reveals everything about himself in any one place. There's an unfolding drama of redemption, an unfolding drama. And it starts right there in Genesis 3.15, the headwaters of Scripture. This is important to know. This is why I want to teach this class, uh, because I, I want people to understand there is depth to the Bible like you can't even begin to imagine, and I haven't even started to scratch the surface of it. But there is so much, and God is constantly giving us this divine revelation we would otherwise have no knowledge of at all. Now, uh, notice how this, he starts out, it's so negative, it's so bad, everything's bad. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, peace in the midst of this mess. In this world you will have trouble, 
The trouble he's talking about is not because you lost your job or you have a toothache. He's talking about the trouble you're going to have by preaching the gospel and living a godly life in the midst of the world system. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world system. We win. The new heavens and the new earth are coming, wherein dwells righteousness forever. Now, I'm praying that some of you here or some of you online are thinking, you know, I've never, never really bought into this um, Jesus stuff. Never really bought into this Christianity, this uh, him dying for sin and blood and all that kind of stuff. Never, never, never bought into that. I'm hoping that as the Holy Spirit, as it says, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I know that according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity is written in the hearts of all people, whether you're an atheist, agnostic, and you know it. And you know that what I've said today is not what I've said, it's what the Scriptures say. You know it's true. And it's going to bother you. It's going to be like a pebble in your shoe until you get this settled. Because if you're not in the kingdom of light, that means you're in the kingdom of darkness. And you're under the control of the evil one. And this is serious business. This is eternal business. So you might be asking, well, how do I, how do I leave the kingdom of darkness and enter in to the kingdom of God's dear son? How, how, do, how do I do that? You need a ticket. You have to have a ticket to get in. You have to have a ticket to get in the movie theater. You have to have a ticket to go to a baseball game or a sporting event. You have to have a ticket to get into heaven. You know what most people think their ticket is? Their spiritual letter sweater. How good they've been. How much money they've given. How often they go to church. How nice they are. Won't cut it. Because you have to be perfect to enter into a perfect kingdom. And I'm not perfect. I am far from that. But I got my ticket. In June... 1970, at a bed and breakfast in Copenhagen, Denmark, somebody explained to me that I needed to have an alien righteousness, a righteousness from heaven, a righteousness that is found in the person of Christ, one who kept the law perfectly for me. He earned my righteousness. He himself is righteous, plus he earned my righteousness, and he places it to the account of anyone and everyone who will put their faith in Christ and Christ alone. See that word alone? Not Christ plus your good works or your church membership, Christ alone. And when that happens, you'll become a pilgrim in this world. And you'll be looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And you'll join those of which it says in Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims in this world. This is not the real world. This world is a plastic world. The real world is the world that will be ushered in, the new heavens and the new earth. And if you've never come to Christ, today is the day of salvation. As we close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to think deeply about your own heart, recognizing that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that you'll call upon Christ to save you and to give you everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, I, I don't know everyone here, but I have to believe that there's a percentage of people here or online 
that have never called upon Christ to save them. That today is the day of salvation. That they would realize that Christ would give them the righteousness they need, the ticket that they need to enter in to your perfect righteous kingdom. And when they do, they will pass from death unto life. They'll be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And so, Father, I thank you for the time that we've had to study your word, to look at it. May we leave here changed, circumspect with a 360-degree panoramic view of what is really taking place. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.